0: Hi, welcome to Offscript, I'm Zach Lewis,
1: and I'm Dr. Draper.
0: Today on the show, we are covering Mean Girls. It's out. I'm convinced it was supposed to come out during the holiday, but it came out January 12th. We've seen it. We're excited to talk about it. Uh, We're also talking about the zone of interest. We caught a screening here in town. One theater had it. We have got to talk about this movie. This movie is insanely cool. Please stick around for the review. We're talking about the Oscar noms. 2024 is out. We have nominees to discuss, hot takes, snubs, highlights. We got it all. But before we get to everything, a ton of news this week, just like last week, Andy, a ton of news. And we're going to start at the top with the big one. Top Gun 3 is in the works at Paramount. I don't believe it. I I think nobody's really surprised by this, right? Everybody knows Top Gun Maverick was huge. It saved cinema. It single-handedly brought movies back from COVID. And now Tom Cruise is swinging by again There's a new script coming from Paramount they're saying Joe, original director Joe Kaczynski, going to come back, or Maverick director Joe Kaczynski. Glenn Powell was talking about it in an interview. All but confirmed, right, Andy? Everything in everything but name.
1: Yeah, there was no way they were not going to make a third Top Gun movie after clearing easily clearing a billion dollars uh in a movie that I said would flop. One, one of the few not accurate predictions of uh, from off script, Shh, but sh- uh, sh- we, don't hit. Hit. We, don't, we don't talk about. We just talk about. <laughs> it was a huge hit and we're in uh the business of sequels and safe picks and you know another top gun film um if it's acts as exciting as the previous one would be another big hit 1.5 billion dollars that's how much movie
0: that's how much movie that's how much money uh top gun maverick made uh around the world. Uh, Steven Spielberg was the one who said that Tom Cruise saved the theater business uh, following coronavirus. That's where that came from. But uh, one thing's for sure, Top Gun made a big impact. One thing that didn't make so much of an impact, which was a big surprise next summer, was Mission Impossible Dead Reckoning Part 1. Or, as it's going to be known now, uh, Mission Impossible Dead Reckoning, as it's listed on Paramount+. Plus. Uh, apparently, they're just going to drop Part 1 in the title, citing, uh, well, they didn't say poor box officer turns, but I mean, that's... It's the answer, right? Why why are we not going to call it Mission Possible Dead Reckoning Part 1, Andy?
1: Well, because these were supposed to come out in like a twin summer thing. Like uh, Dead Reckoning came out this past summer, 2023, and then this Part 2 was supposed to come out in 2024. It's going to be delayed by at least a year, uh, possibly longer. And so by then, people will have kind of forgotten. And uh, Hollywood has this thing where they don't like to really use numbers for sequels anymore, Uh, because people feel like they have to see all the previous films, and so they just give it a different name that we can just go right into it. So it will be a sequel in practice, but it'll have some new fancy Mission Impossible name. What if this is what the entity wanted,
0: Andy? What if the entity didn't want to be part one and now it's been renamed Ethan. What, what if it's all from Bay <laughs> please, I, some said the interim Some redditor said it. New great. movie. Dude, I know. Ethan. Some redditors, some, some redditor said it great. They said they said and and Mission Impossible Dead Reckoning Part 1 will forever become the Mission Impossible movie with the uh with the big bike jump and train stunt. And uh, I love these movies, but I do end up feeling a lot that way, like like the Fast and Furious movies. That like I start to just remember them by like the big stunt that's advertised in the commercials for it, and that's what was advertised for this one. They're doing the bike jump, and there's some train stuff, and that's what I'm gonna remember it for mostly. Hopefully, wherever the series goes next, they pivot into something a little bit. I don't know stronger or tighter especially if it's supposed to be concluding is that what this next one's supposed to be mission possible eight's going to be like the the cap i mean where where are we at andy
1: i mean it'll be th- the end of this saga of it i don't the mission impossible series kind of goes in in sets like one and two are, are kind of a set uh three is actually kind of on its own but like four through four or five and six or have kind of all all been a set as well. And then uh, six, seven, eight, there's overlap there with uh, Rebecca Ferguson's character, um, but th- that you can kind of group them. And so this is definitely gonna be, I think the end of a grouping of these movies. Uh, you might see some turnover of these actors. I mean, Ving Rhames has been in the, the series as long as Tom Cruise has, uh, 30 years. And uh, Simon Pegg's now been in it 20 odd years. Uh, you gotta pass the torch.
0: V- v- when Somehow. Ving Rhames passes away, God, God forbid, tragedy strikes. Years, he'll from still now, be wearing right? his hat the memorial photo at the Oscars will be him in the Mission Impossible movies I swear to God like he, he he's going to be in these for the rest of his life and good for him he's getting the bag one studio that's also getting the bag is Universal because they're making a new Jurassic World movie hey didn't you know it of course they're going to make more barely a thousand days from the previous Jurassic World film that was supposed to be kind of the end of it right uh, we've got a new script coming uh, from David kep who uh, penned Steven Spielberg's original Jurassic Park in 1997 season even though it is reportedly going to be a Jurassic world feature. I, I don't who, who Andy who wants more Jurassic Park? Who
1: cares, right? I mean, they seem to be still very successful. They're crowd pleasers. they play well internationally. Uh, but uh, David Cope uh, wrote his his last writing credit is uh, Indiana Jones and Dial of Destiny. so that's a huge flop so I don't know how he's still getting work. Because that's not working anymore. He also wrote the previous Indiana Jones film, uh, Crystal Skull, and the original 1996 Mission Impossible. So he does have some writing clout, but he also has uh, bombed recently. So I'm not sure that's why you would go with. But, I mean, people turn out for these movies, and if they're just going to keep making them, people love dinosaurs.
0: That's that's weird. A Hollywood Reporter doesn't have a list of David Kep's blunders here. I don't I don't see this, but uh, you're right. I, pe- people are just going to keep making them. Obviously, we've got new Planet of the Apes coming, which is also Universal, right? Like, is that do I have that wrong? I don't know who does not Planet sure. Of the Apes, but there's a whole new trilogy coming from there. Big CGI, right? Like, clearly there's an audience for it, and like Andy said, internationally they do great. Why not, right? Why not keep making more? I guess I guess like my my little itty bitty. If I could make one request for the writers of the new Jurassic World, whatever, go with like a big reboot. Don't try to continue where they're at now. The the bringing there's no more dinosaurs on islands. You know what I mean? Now it's just dinosaurs everywhere, and like I don't know, man. Are in we, are we making dinosaur every yeah, dinosaur everywhere movies now? Like I don't, I th- I think the bottle thing works. I think dinosaurs in a specific place works, but I don't know. Maybe they'll come up with some clever something. Uh, speaking of another thing, another big pivot from a studio. Uh, David Gordon Green is departing from the new Exorcist sequel. Uh, I found this story uh, late one evening and texted it to you in our little hiatus uh, and have been laughing a little bit about, it, bit about it ever since because David Gordon Green, if anybody who's paying attention to the old Exorcist or the last Exorcist movie knows, uh, he was kind of supposed to be like the ringleader for this new trilogy that that Universal bought for $400 million. Like They bought the rights to make three Exorcist movies. He made this new one, The Exorcist 4 Double Trouble, or whatever it's called, and <laughs> it bombed. Nobody even saw it, and now he's backing out, <laughs> and he's leaving, he's leaving Universal in a lurch. Oh, it's
1: great. What do you think about this, Andy? I mean, that movie was bad, and it was a bomb, Exorcist Believer, and uh, they got to figure out some way to make money on this, because uh, David Gordon Green is just not it. Um, IP horror is just having a real tough time Scream screen franchises on the ropes Exorcist on, on the ropes I mean there hasn't really been a good Exorcist film Since the, the original it, It's hard to do the possession thing And that original film was about so much more Than just the uh, the, the Exorcism scenes that, that people kind of miss So I don't know what they're going to do I don't know how you move forward I don't know how you make the, this story scary again um, But I guess it's not with David Gordon Green
0: I think the head of Universal needs to book, or like Universal Creative, I guess, needs to book a good lunch with like the head of Spyglass and get together and put their heads together between Scream and Exorcist, how you bail yourself out of uh, a horror series that you can't seem to get right in a time of Bloomhouse Pictures is making insane money on horror. Like horror is having a huge, huge pop at the box office. The funny thing is, like, it's, it almost seems like the cheaper you can make these movies, the further you can run on them, right? Like, some of these really small features, like A24's Talk To Me, had a ton of runaway success. Blumhouse obviously, like, exists because of the runaway success of many small horror features. Like, I don't I don't know if spending big in these things is the answer. It hasn't necessarily stopped them from working in the past. But Exorcist has got to go somewhere else creatively yeah it's like you guys can't keep doing this people just aren't turning out for it i think we've we've seen the nun and we've seen the exorcism of emily rose and god knows what else and it's like we're so far now from where audiences were when the exorcist came out that like even the old trailer nods in in, in the new trailers for exorcist believer with like the black flashes or so like nobody even got that it didn't even make sense culturally like i, I don't know I, I think i think exorcist needs to go in some new direction um any other thoughts on this one, I know we got a couple more stories but I've been blowing through them. No, I'm ready to go. Uh 28 years later is getting a sequel. Yeah, the Danny Boyle movies. Uh, 28 Days Later and 28 Years Later about the uh, rage and rage virus zombies uh taking over the earth. First one stars Killian Murphy, second one stars uh The Bourne Ultimatum. Um Jeremy Renner. That's it. Uh yeah, they they're making more of them. Uh, Danny Gar, Danny Boyle and Alex Garland are getting together, original writer director duo, right? Uh, well, I should take it back. Danny was the director and Alex was the writer, but now Alex Garland is writing and directing his own features like Annihilation and Men uh, and Civil War coming out soon. Uh, Danny Boyle did Train Spotting too, right? And he's been working on some other stuff. Here we are, it's time. I guess Killian Murphy's popping off. Uh, what do you have? You seen these movies, Andy? And are you a fan of them? Uh, what do you what do you know about 28 yeah, days later I, series?
1: I remember when 28 days later came out, I saw it in I don't I oh don't no, I don't think I saw it in theater, but it, there was so much buzz about it and I saw it and, and it's incredible. It was the first time we kind of had these fast zombies that ran. It was real uh kind of gon, gonzo like in your face, a lot of violence. Um th- I remember they have this famous shot of Killian Murphy on an empty uh street where you can see Big Ben they had to clear out. You know, they got permits to to evacuate the area and it just was so grounded and and so real and it was really successful i i don't think i ever saw the sequel 28 weeks later but it is exciting for them to come back to this um 28 years later i mean near i mean some 20 odd years after that original movie came out um with the same creative team they could have something it could cook
0: yeah, why not? Right, like a lot of us were skeptical about new Mad Max and Fury Road dropped, and it was like, oh my god, like the original creator back at the wheel, like can turn out something really incredible after years away. Like, not look, I don't know. I I do think for keen listeners of of uh, Oppenheimer, Buzz, I remember there was some. I could swear, I've been able to find it since, but I, if you saw this, like, drop a comment and let me know. Like, I swear there was some TikTok interview or something on a red carpet with Killian Murphy talking about Oppenheimer, and somebody was like, hey, I really like those 28 Days Later movies. Would you do another one? And he was like, oh, yeah, maybe. I don't know. And I, like, I'm convinced that clip got to somebody somewhere at the studio, and they were like, get the script writers. Like, just get everything together. We, we might be able to get the guy who's getting an Oscar nom for Oppenheimer together for a 28 days later movie but like i don't know i don't know where these kids come from i do love those old movies I like both of them even even the second one which is not as i think well known because it didn't have murphy in it it was like a spin off, kind of different characters but like still really good um yeah man might be great uh one more story before we move into mean girls uh, from the box office uh mean girls does pretty okay i guess right but it seems like a lot of people got froze up by the weather uh how are the numbers this week andy
1: Mean Girls is back on top two weekends in a row uh domestically in at 51 million a little bit higher than that globally really good uh, start for the kind of mid-budget musical um also uh, another big su- kind of surprise success is Jason Statham's The Beekeeper it- it's made uh, about 60 million globally it's a surprise you know the Statham still hits um Wonka continues to do really good numbers made over half of it, it's over the half a billion mark um and I think one of the bigger surprise of the last couple of months is the uh, rom-com anyone but you starring Sydney Sweeney and Glenn Powell has topped uh 100 million dollars the rom-com is back it's the highest grossing rom-com since like 2016 with a uh, Br- Bridget Jones's uh third her kid or whatever whatever the third Bridget Jones movie is uh so really Joseph's um, crisis yeah whatever yeah exactly so yeah. that that's uh, uh, it's nice to see some a very diverse pack of films still doing really well the n- newcomer was uh the sci-fi movie iss international space station uh was totally crashed to earth quote unquote uh we just made a over three million dollars it's like a 30 million dollar movie it's bad it's a bomb but a lot of uh, a lot of positives for all the other movies in the top 10.
0: Love a good cheesy entertainment pop culture headline, right? ISS crashes to earth and box office failure. Uh I think the anyone but you story is really interesting. Anytime one of these rom coms does well, it, it I, I find myself like oddly interested in what's going on because it's such a rare thing to see like word of mouth help carry a feature over time. Like, especially nowadays. Usually something pops right at the start and then has pretty quick drop-off, especially like bigger features like marvel stuff will have really fast drop off after the first week or two like even uh some larger things like barbie will see you know a pretty significant drop down um but when certain rom-coms like that sandra bullock lost city uh right after covid and lost like yeah. anyone but you yeah like both of these had like actual carry for a while and i i have a theory that it's because all the moms in america who would be getting out and seeing these features uh they just don't hear about them until other moms tell them a couple weeks into release and they're like, Oh yeah, I'll go see that. Or I'll go plan a date with my daughter and we'll go to that's my, it's my hot take. I realize saying it out loud on the podcast, I, I probably shouldn't be pinning at all on women. Uh, obviously it's not just about that, but uh, I do think, I don't know. I'm glad it's doing well, I guess. Our man Glenn Powell is going to be in Top Gun 3. Probably. Reportedly. Maybe. As reported on Offscript Film Review. Anyway, we should move into our first review of the episode. Because really, we got to get to our second review of the episode. Because I'm so stoked to talk about Zone of Interest. Please hang out for Zone of Interest. Dude, Zone of Interest is so cool. <laughs> but before we get to that, we got to talk about our first movie of the episode. I'm going to be taking the summary on this, so please excuse my clumsy delivery. The movie is Mean Girls. So, uh, I am a good pick, I think, to cover uh, the Mean Girls plot here at the beginning of the review because I never saw the old one, right? I never saw the Lindsay Lohan one. Everybody's got that pop culture movie that they've seen a million times and like quoted with their friends and seen memes about... I just didn't get around to this one, right? It's okay. It's fine. But Mean Girls, this film is the musical adaptation of the Broadway adaptation of the movie that I think is based on a book from there. I know Tina Fey is involved in writing. I know this film is brought to us by a dynamic uh, uh, husband-wife directing duo. And I know that this film stars a new cast of characters, right? Who are having this adventure. Uh, The film is about Katie Heron, uh, who is a newcomer at school. Uh, She's from Australia, and she's moved to America, and she used to be homeschooled, but now uh, she has to fit in at a public school where she doesn't know anybody, and she discovers all of these cliques, uh, the artists and the weird kids, right, and the the, the stoners, and then, of course, there's the plastics, right? These these, these, uh, preppy girls who are glitzy and glamorous, don't talk to anybody, and are super mean, and they're led by Regina George, uh, played by Renee Rapp, who is, like, the most dynamic, the most vivacious, the cruel list of all of them and slowly as katie begins to integrate into the plastic she discovers that regina really needs to get hers all right it's 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 past due everybody at the school knows she's terrible she somebody needs to get some revenge on regina george so slowly as her and her friends plot to unravel the life of uh uh, one of our mean girls uh she begins to realize that she herself starts to slip into the role of being kind of bad and kind of glitzy and, and suddenly has to discover who she is while Regina George is just getting burned for being a bad person. Um, I, like I said, have not seen the old one. I'm, I'm interested to see what Andy thinks. Cause he has Andy. What did you think of mean girls uh, musical adaptation?
1: so i think this has a similar problem to the color purple in that it's been adapted four times this has gone the same route of first it was a novel then it was a film then it was a musical and now it's a few film musical um and so it's a little bit of a victim of its own derivation i i think it is still it's a lot of fun and the production is is spot on like the the song and dance numbers are really impressive like that's where a lot of the good filmmaking choreography is done well, but the the music is just it's a little lame it, it's not catching you you're not gonna walk out singing the Mean Girls theme. Um so and it also it, it lacks the the humor of it's it's funny but it's not near as funny as the original. It's missing a a lot of that that clever nature. The other thing, it's a little bit like these Disney remakes where because you know exactly what they're what's coming and because it's beat for beat uh it's hard to get into it cuz you already know exactly what what to expect. There's some things that are updated a, a little bit, but it's largely the exact same story. I think the the production of it is really well, but it it falls short I think of the original.
0: Yeah, I think you nailed it right on the head. It's it's an adaptation of an adaptation. It kind of has the problem the same problem the Color Purple had last week. Like the Color Purple we're watching that we watched is the ad- film adaptation of the Broadway play. Of the Spielberg film that was based on a book, I think this fundamentally has the same journey of of creativity to get to where we're at now, and all the sharpness has been shaved off. All the all all the it's got this layer of like glaze and polish that softens it up for audiences everywhere, right? Uh, men, and women who can afford Broadway play tickets, and then also the rest of us commoners in our vaudeville theaters, uh, like, and it just ends up feeling really like. I don't know. Like, like it, it, it lacks a certain pizzazz. Now, I think you're right. Like, that does come out in the way it's shot, the way it's made. Uh, directing duo Samantha Jane and Arturo Perez Jr. Do not have a lot under their belt. Uh, they, they have a pretty slim IMDb page. It's a lot of shorts before this. Uh, but they're married. They work together. They directed this. I don't know if they are friends with Tina Fey, who got the writing credit on this. Even though she didn't write the original book, she wrote the screenplay for this and I assume she had a hand in writing the Broadway. Um, but I don't know how they landed this, but they do a pretty good job, all things considered. Like the, the music's pretty good. Lots of good long one-take shots, like with lots of choreography. A ton of background dancers. Um, big set design where, where they can get it. That stuff's good. It really, I think if I struggled anywhere, it was kind of the stuff between the songs. It wasn't even so much like the music where half of it wasn't toe-tapping. And there is a lot of music and about half of it isn't that good um the plot was a little messy and i think it's because it's not quite as sharp as that original movie was i from from what i've talked to people um it, I, it just seems like i don't know it, it, did you get that at all like how are our characters compared to yeah. Lindsay lohan and and uh god yeah
1: yeah they're a little bit of a shadow i i i saw one complaint that the movie's not mean enough like that's part of the humor is that like these girls are really mean and they're really cleverly mean but it's the exact same names in the same plot uh andre rice plays katie heron who was the character played by lindsey lohan um renee Rapp uh plays regina george who who was played by oh gosh i can't think of her name now rachel not rachel, rachel, yes, McAdams. rachel McAdams. i was doing the same
0: thing earlier i was like why rachel McAdams? yeah yeah
1: yeah, uh, and and her performance is, is so good. And actually, the, the other plastics are better than Renee Rapp. And I don't think that she's a bad actress. I think her part is just not written very strongly, despite her being like the lead plastic. Uh, the other two are actually way more funny. Uh, Avantika as Karen Shetty and B.B. Wood as Gretchen Wieners. I don't know which one is the acting name and which one is the character name almost. Um, yeah, It it's just not as clever. It's not as funny. It's not as mean, which is part of where the heart of the movie comes from because it's, it's about kind of some friendship betrayal and you know, it's th- those same lessons are there about like, you know, pretending to be yourself to be accepted and the cost of that and kind of loving yourself and in, in the end. So we still have the, those same kind of themes. I, I think a big standout is the, uh, the kind of outcast characters are, are also in this uh, played by uh Moana herself, Ali uh, Cravalho, who who sings a lot. Like, you you know, like she's a, she, I don't know if she's on Broadway, but she has like a Broadway star voice and they give her a lot of songs because she's so good. Um, She's definitely a a highlight. Yeah. It's just, it's a shadow uh, of the original and it's, it's fine and they do a good job, but it's just, it's just not near as funny.
0: Well, it's funny. Our two queer side characters are kind of our muses. They open and, and close the feature with this number about it being a cautionary tale. And then at the end, well, now you've seen what happens when you're a mean girl, whatever. Uh, Ali Corvallo and, and Jaquelle Spivy, Spivy? Uh, Spivy, probably, uh, play uh, Janice and Damien. Uh, and, and I realized probably during Janice's last big dance so, song and dance number, when she's like belting her heart out, I was like, I would rather be watching the movie about this odd lesbian artist and her friend than Katie and Regina George and like it shouldn't be that way like like Andrea Rice's Katie is understated for sure she reminded me a lot of like Elsie Fisher in Bo Burnham's eighth grade like blonde and like keeps her hair down and like kind of has like the hollowed out eyes look like she's tired a little bit And then over the course of the movie, she gets the glow up, right? Like, she gets the sick makeup and the better phone and she starts failing math, right? Like, I I get that. that. And that all works for sure. Renee Rapp, on the other side of that fence, she's like... After the movie, I was, talk- I was talking to Christina about it. She's like, she's like the principal, Ed Rooney, in Ferris Bueller's Day Off. Like, she starts high and then just gets run down over the whole movie. <laughs> and I've never seen the original, and apparently that's fundamentally how it works. Like, these two characters kind of shift places, and they have this odd kind of foil about them. I totally get that. But, yeah, Renee Rapp just ends up really getting beat down and shut out here. And she doesn't have a lot of time to be mean you're right like she's kind of she's kind of soft a little bit in the same way that i i felt about mr uh the character from the color purple he's the villain and he's kind of he's soft gloves a little bit like he's bad but he's presented in a way that's like almost like a disney villain like you're 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 not you're you're charismatic and you, you've got some quality that yeah people can enjoy that you can watch you for 90 minutes and you're absolutely right like her two Side plastics, uh Karen and Gretchen, both way better. Both way better. And the two side the, the two the two side muses, both way better. The new kid, by the way, the new the new heartthrob, Christopher Briney, plays Aaron Samuels. Cool eyes, doesn't do a lot of acting. I I, I will probably see him as an intern in something in the future. Uh or some you know, some some young up and comer part. I don't know. Maybe he'll be a Marvel hero at some point. Um uh, yeah, like I, I feel like I liked it fine. I just couldn't help but walk away thinking, "It does it do it? Does does the original do it better? You know, because like it, it for everything that's lacking here, I can't help but think like the original was memed. The original has like pop culture status, right? A number of stars in the original have gone on to do incredible work. Like I don't know if any of that's here. You know, I don't know if this quite gets over that line. What do you think, Andy? You've seen it.
1: Um, yeah, like it. <laughs> That's that's part of what is so funny about that original is you know they they have the the, the same burn book stuff but there's just there's mean things happening uh, along the way and it's like you said it, it's like this is an attempt of like well we want to p- poke fun at people but we don't really want to upset anyone and so we're gonna kind of pull it back and that's not why that that first movie works that that first movie works because you're genu- genuinely scared of this group of 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 girls and everyone wants to be accepted by them so that they are not made made targets and uh, it's just it's it's a little soft it's a little kid glove like yeah you said.
0: and let me tell you like as somebody who hasn't seen it um I'm here I've heard this is a hot take from the people I've talked about it with if your mean girls aren't mean in the first half of the movie it makes Katie getting revenge on Regina George look worse it makes her look meaner because it's like, I like halfway through the movie, I was like, dude, Renee Rapp is, is, is getting a lot less screen time. And when she is here, she's just kind of a victim. Because like, that's what happens in the plot, right? She's super mean. And then she, people start to get revenge on her. And this movie doesn't give you enough time for that. They just tell you she's real bad with a song and dance number. And then you get to watch her get, get pushed down a hill for 90 minutes. And that's the movie. Like... Weird, weird, weird takeaway. But like I said, I, I think it's just because it's an adaptation of an adaptation, and like ultimately, that's going to come with problems. And I think it's a big claim throwing Tina Fey's name on it. Her name was all over the trailers. She 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 opens the movie with a message: "Hi, I'm Tina Fey. Thanks for coming to Mean Girls. Right? Like, enjoy the movie. Like, and and then I actually looked at it. And was like, oh, she didn't she didn't even direct it. She wrote it, and she wrote an adaptation of an adaptation. So they didn't bother. Putting wrote, the director's wrote names the- on here. They didn't bother." It she wrote over the original that's why okay that's why she wrote the original movie right but it is based on a book
1: which she didn't write yes right write. correct. so yeah but she wrote do, that original it, movie and it was a big hit right. and it's a classic and the, that's why they threw prob- her name all over this yes
0: it's, it's for sure and she's, she's the, the writer this. for this too i don't know yes. i
1: don't know what happened in the last 20 years
0: I couldn't tell you. Yeah, this definitely changed.
1: She's in it too. You know, maybe I don't know. I don't know. I hear she's. She's in the original, like, so so (laughs) she she's in the original, and as is Tim Meadows' character, and they they're they're playing their same character. She's a teacher, and he's the principal. Like the, like yeah they they so so it's a weird thing because it's a remake, but they're playing their same characters twenty years later. Well, this also
0: explains. Because this this film was produced by Faye and Lorne Michaels, right? Head of SNL. And I was confused by Tim Meadows being in here. Because I was like, he's SNL and, and big sketch comedy alum, right? And Tina Fey's in here. Okay, they must be good friends. And then when I saw his name at the end, I was like, is this an SNL feature? Like, why, why are they all on here? And then if they're in the original, that makes more sense. Lorne probably had a yeah. hand in financing the film. That kind of comes through. Okay. All right. It's just... Boy, yeah, it's like I gotta do, I, I don't know, it's not that I have to do the homework, I'm just fascinated at how Color Purple felt fresh and different, but ultimately, like, the cinem- cin- cinematically a little flat. This movie, on the other hand, I feel like it takes advantage of the medium and film, but the script's a little flat, and it's like, I, I, n- neither of them split the difference, The be- I, so far my favorite holiday musical's been Wonka. But buy a nose though, because Color Purple's super good. <laughs> anyway, we should get to recommendations. Boy, we got a lot of we got a lot of show to move on to. We got to get to Oscar noms. We got to get to the zone of interest. Any any other thoughts on this one for recommendations, Andy?
1: Oh, just real quick, John Hamm barely shows up in this, and he is in that trailer a lot. Like I, I like he he all his scenes are basically in the trailer, and that is a crime. I I I I thought
0: that when I was watching the movie, and I realized towards the end he wasn't going to be in it anymore, and I was like. Did they shoot more with him and then just lose it, like it wasn't gonna work, or did they just have him on set for like a half day? Here, wear some goofy pants, half Here's hour, your eight lines. Yeah, like he he was barely on. Like, dude, it's a bummer. I think there maybe there's more deleted scenes of him being a goofy. I don't know, whatever. Anyway, uh, yes, not enough John Hamm. Certainly, an odd adaptation. Andy, would you recommend Mean Girls?
1: I would if you're a fan of, of the property. If you've seen the original, loved the original, had a good time, uh, I think you'll have a good time with this. If you're a little on the fence, I, I would say maybe save it for streaming. I think it is really well produced and the performances are good. It's just the writing is a little weak, <laughs> despite it being Tina Fey, the same person who wrote the original uh the the dance number the the song and dance numbers are done really well like a lot of choreography going into like this those sets must have been uh crazy the music to the musical is just a little underwhelming you you don't come away singing the songs i think overall it's a good time it does go a little long but um again you're better off going back and watching the original
0: Yeah, I obviously haven't seen the original, so I can't say whether or not that would be worth your time. But what I can tell you is, for what's here, Mean Girls is good. Uh, Like I said, of the three holiday musicals that I've seen, I wouldn't put this one at the top. It would take the bottom spot. Um, It's new. You know, it's from two, two directors who haven't really done any big features. Like, I get that. It's an adaptation of an adaptation. It comes from an odd space. And yeah, like I don't I don't I don't know if I saw anything in here that like I'm going to see in a meme in eight, in in 15 years, but like I I've, I've seen stop trying to make fetch happen, it's not going to happen like in a JPEG for a decade now. Like I just I understand that there's staying power in like what's here, but I don't know. I think this is uh fine. I think it's fine. And I I I, I would bet when I go back and watch the original, I think I may get a little more out of it, but uh yeah, Mean Girls is all right. But now that we've got the popular review out of the way. Now that we've got the review that's going to get people to click on the thumbnail out of the way, now we got to talk about the real film stuff, all right? This is for the people who really want to talk about movies. This is for the people who, who want to talk about bold cinema, big cinema. And we got to talk about the
1: Oscars. Andy, what do we call this segment? It's time for the death of cinema. So, the ninth... 19, not 19, the 96th Oscar nominations are upon us. They were announced early this morning at 5 30 a.m. Pacific time. They're here. We're going to talk about them. We got surprises. We got snubs. We have a lot of people nominated that we thought would, and uh, kind of everything in between. So there's it's a long list, so we're going to try and blow through these as quick as we can, starting with Best Picture we have a full 10 nine nominees of which I'm proud to have seen nine of. I always do this very elitist thing where I just try to see as many best picture noms and see how I stack up when they're announced. So here they are American fiction, anatomy of a fall, the holdovers killers of the flower moon, maestro Oppenheimer past lives, poor things and the zone of interest. Zach, you what skip, do you think of you these? Sk- these 10 skip
0: Barbie in there, but yes. Uh, oh, sorry, yes. Barbie. Oh my no, God. No, no, These are, these are rock solid. These are all good picks. Uh, this is, fundamentally what we kind of expected i gotta see american fiction i keep seeing it's good has it come out yet did we miss
1: it maybe we just missed it it it
0: was it was released around
1: christmas i feel like i
0: saw it at like a theater across the hall and was like oh american fiction i should go see that and just like zone of interest like i have not had the marketing coming to me to tell me when this movie's coming out to go see it i need to go catch a screening otherwise rock solid uh my pick no, are we doing picks or are we just hold on? <laughs> Wait
1: a second. Well, are we doing? Picks? I mean, of this of this list, no. uh, I don't. I, I it's it's a great great list. Uh, Maestro just doing too much work. I mean, Bradley the devil works hard, but Bradley Cooper works harder, getting a, a number of no, nominees. I think o, overall, it's important to point out Oppenheimer uh, got uh, thirteen Oscar noms. *Coach of the Flower Room* got eleven. *Poor Things* yeah. got. 11, I think, also, or maybe it's the opposite. Flowers of Moon got a eight, I think. Barbie got eight. So, a, a lot go, going around. Um, of this, my, my pick is probably going to be Oppenheimer. I think it's Oppenheimer too, but I tell you,
0: I, holdovers have really come around now since I've seen it. I'd love for that one to sneak one out, but that got nominated a lot in here. I think there's a lot of love for the holdovers. Uh, Best directing uh, nominees include Justin Trier for Anatomy of a Fall, uh, Justine Triet for Anatomy of a Fall, Martin Scorsese for Killers of the Flower Moon, Christopher Nolan for Oppenheimer, Yogos Lanthimos for Poor Things, and jo- Jonathan Glazer The Zone of Interest. Andy, Zone of Interest has been here in here twice already, and we didn't even see that till this week. And let me tell you, if Until I hadn't seen yet, it. I would be thinking, wow, something must be going on here. Uh, that's really odd.
1: Yeah, uh, big snub here, Greta Gerwig, Nowhere to be, be Found. Had one of the, mm. the biggest film, the biggest film of the year. Um, first w- woman to ma- make a billion-dollar film, Historic. Um, yeah, left off. And last year, no women were nominated for Best Directing. Uh, we did get Justine Trier in there. That's good, but I think... Uh, Greta Gerwig deserved to be on this list that said it's also it's a stacked list you know you'd be hard pressed to take some, someone off but you could definitely do it
0: yeah I'm in the same boat all I heard were stories about how great being on the barbie set was people were like I couldn't wait to go to work everybody was super positive everything was fantastic like Gerwig seemed to have made a really fantastic something and produced an cr- incredible film on top of that it's really a bummer she's not here my favorite probably, Scors- probably Scorsese dude I did, I did like that poor things though Mm, I'm tell you i like that poor things uh who would you pick and then i think it's the best actor
1: i mean i think it's it would i think it's going to be nolan I, I think it's gonna be an oppenheimer sweep this this year i think it, it might be his year for everything uh best actor in the leading role <laughs> uh bradley cooper uh for maestro coleman D- domingo for rustin paul giamatti in the holdovers killian murphy and oppenheimer and jeffrey wright in american fiction uh, surprised to see Bradley Cooper on here, man. He he's really begging for that Oscar. At this point, I'm just like, just give it to him so he'll stop. Um, Jeffrey Wright also a little bit surprised to be on there. Big snub. Uh, no Leonardo DiCaprio for for a leading role for *Killers uh, of the Flower mean, Moon*.
0: Who was it? it was a Paul Schrader that said Leonardo DiCaprio plays dumb and nobody wants to watch dumb for three and a half hours like brutal take. <laughs> right. It's all I can think about looking at this list. Like, how is he not on there? But yeah, it is weird. Uh, it's Giamatti for holdovers for me. If I could pick one man like uh, really coming around that holdovers uh, best actress in leading role. Wait. Yeah, my turn. Yes, my turn. Yeah, yeah, go, of course. Best Actress in Leading Role, Annette Benning in Nyad, Cl- Lily Gladstone in Killers of the Flower Moon, Sandra Hewler in Anatomy of a Fall, Carrie Mulligan in Maestro, and Emma Stone in Poor Things. Hoping for Emma Stone. I think it's too weird, but there's a lot of noms for Poor Things. Maybe not. Maybe it's not too
1: weird. Um, Conventional Wisdom says it's Lily Gladstone. It's the kind of the discovery uh, Oscar that you know discovering discovery of talent um, again another big snub here no Margot Robbie for, for Barbie right. um, surprised that that Annette Benning is here for NIAD. if you don't know what NIAD is it's a swimming drama in, on, that's on Netflix uh, we might have to watch it now no one has seen that no one has been talking about it but you know the Oscars that I need to remind people the Oscars it's a dirty game it's political They're a campaign there's money there there's a whole lot of ways uh, to get in to get in here a lot of times it's just about being uh, a name so i think it's probably going to be lily gladstone but it's it's a shame margot robbie isn't in in, in this list same snub. Uh, uh best actor in a supporting role sterling k brown for american fiction robert de niro *Killers of the flower moon robert downey jr for oppenheimer ryan gosling for barbie and mark ruffalo for poor things uh really surprised to see De Niro on, on this list no one's really talked about like his performance is great in that but no one's really talked about it as being an awards contender uh again the big kind of funny thing Ryan Gosling gets nominated for Ken but then the other Margot Robbie doesn't get it for for Barbie um and then Mark Ruffalo a little bit of a surprise over Willem Willem Defoe um I think this is going to Downey Jr all the money's been on him
0: yeah, and he's really tremendous as Strauss and Oppenheimer. He's really great, man. Uh, Ken being on the list and not Barbie is tragically funny. Sorry, tragedy and comedy, you know how it goes. And uh, like, honestly, I love that Mark Ruffalo's on here. It, he's really fun to watch. And poor things, he's he's delightfully icky and gross, and he's Bad weird. Nah. And he's got a kooky <laughs> accent. Yeah, like he is a ton of fun to watch. As this awful guy, like rock solid. I'd love it. Probably going to Downey Jr. Uh, Best Actress in Supporting. Emily Blunt for Oppenheimer. Danielle Brooks to Color Purple. America Ferreira for Barbie. Jodie Foster for Nyad and Divine Joy Randolph for The Holdovers. Uh, worth mentioning, Danielle Brooks is really, really great in The Color Purple. She is easily one of the standout performances. Tremendous, moving. I still think it's going to Divine Joy Randolph for The Holdovers because she moved me just that much more, man. She's tremendous. She's the favorite. I think she's got it this
1: year. Yeah, uh, agreed. Again, Jodie Foster randomly showing up for for it uh, th- th- That's this movie's t- this year's two Leslie uh, like Les- from last <laughs> year. Um, uh, some other surprises that aren't on here: May December, neither Julianne Moore or or uh, Natalie Portman, as well as Celine uh, Celine's Song's past uh, Greta Greta Lee for past lives. another people thought she was uh, overlooked as as well. Um, but this is this is a great list outside of NIAID. I I just. <laughs> Netflix really. Netflix has Netflix wanted a campaign, so it's, um, that's how it is. Sometimes again, I. But the the smart money's on Dave and Joy Randolph. Um, moving on to, do you want to jump around or get into writing?
0: Uh, we can, uh, Do we really need to hit writing? I think we're okay to hit, skip writing. Right? I mean, May <laughs> December did okay. catch a nod for original screenplay, but I mean, uh, it's fine. It's fine.
1: Yeah, this is where uh past. Yeah, uh, past lives caught one for original screenplay. Uh, Barbie got in for adapted screenplay, not killers of the flower moon. Some people are upset about that. Another zone of interest for adapted, uh, screenplay. We're going to be talking about that, uh, later. Uh, best animated feature, the boy and the heron, elemental, Nomona, robot dreams, and Spider-Man across the spider verse. Uh, this is a mixed category. Uh, Disney gets the, the pity nomination for elemental, uh, Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles could have been in here. Suzume could have been in here. I don't know anything about this Robot Dreams movie. Yet. Zach, have you heard of it?
0: I haven't but I did watch a video this morning of like the very small team who put it together like celebrating their Oscar nom like and over video right and like that's always a delight to see in the animated category there's usually a couple in here that are odd like like one that's like a straight to Netflix this year there's a couple right a lot of people skipped Nimona on, on Netflix we covered it here you should totally check out their views, you should totally go check out *Nomona*. and I love that the boy and the heron makes the list I think Spider-Man's taken it even though again love boy and heron but I do want to make a special mention for Disney Have their whole ass out on this list. Robert Iger just took a fat pay cut and he should be going down the line at creative putting heads on pikes. Elemental (laughs) barely makes it on here. Elemental was a flop for the first two weeks. We covered it. Nobody was going to see this movie. Word of mouth and big international buzz that nobody expected got that movie over the finish line. That is the reason that's on that list. Disney missed it this year, dude. 2023 is a big miss for Disney. It just was. Like they're barely represented here. Terrible. Anyway, I should do, uh, um, not documentary, but yeah, I should check the next one.
1: Uh, international film?
0: Uh, Io Capitano from Italy, Perfect Days from Japan, new Wim Wenders feature with the trailer in theaters now. A uh, Society of the Snow in Spain, now available on Netflix. Might be covering that soon on the podcast. The Teacher's Lounge in Germany, and then the Zone of Interest, Jonathan Glazer's film the United Kingdom, which bafflingly is not... From Germany, even though the whole film's in German. It's his first foreign language. It is the UK's feature. He is a UK director. So yes, don't get confused on your Oscar trivia list. Uh, It's going to zone of interest for me, man, of what I've seen here. And I should say, full discrepancy, I may or may not have taken a look at Society of the Snow. We'll talk about it soon, I promise. And I do want to see Perfect Days because I've seen the trailer and it looks real good.
1: I'm just going to read through uh, these next couple of categories. Best cinemat- cinematography, uh, El Conde, Killers of the Flower Moon, Maestro, Oppenheimer, Poor Things. Great list. Best costume, Barbie, Killers of the Flower Moon, Napoleon, Oppenheimer, Poor Things. Napoleon showing up. And then uh, makeup and hairstyle. Makeup and hairstyling, Golda, Maestro, Oppenheimer, Poor Things, Society of the Snow. So Maestro getting in there somehow yeah and hey sorry those those
0: three uh not particularly i'm a little listen i didn't i don't want to say i thought saltburn was getting a cinematography numb i don't want to say that but saltburn was one of the prettiest movies i've seen this year despite the content and i'm a little surprised it got nothing here i don't know if it's a fat snub but like Saltburn is a gorgeous-looking movie. It's really surprised to not see it here. As far as costume design, it checks out. Big laugh at Napoleon. I don't know why. Why wouldn't you laugh at Napoleon, right? That's the whole point. And then for makeup and hairstyling, I think I don't know. It all checks out for me. Uh, I'm still surprised to see uh, B- Barbie getting a nom in Best Original Song for "I'm Just Ken." Like Ryan Gosling is going to go up on stage and accept that? I guess he wouldn't. He didn't technically write it, but I, I mean. So, i don't know like, yeah so, so
1: the snub here is that uh dua lipa's uh barbie song was like the hit of the summer and that's nowhere to be found Billie it's eilish was, is also yeah. on yeah billy eilish is also on here for what was i made for that's a great great song is as, as well but yeah you, you nominated two of the three hit songs and you left out the which was like the biggest hit um that's a little disappointing best uh, original score i'm mad about this one i'm gonna talk about it american this fiction one. indiana joe uh, indiana jones and dial of destiny for john williams colors of the flower moon uh, oppenheimer and poor poor things love to see poor things and oppenheimer on there uh colors of the flower moon to me it's kind of forgettable but john williams getting nominated for indiana jones and dial of destiny is tragic like he's sometimes people get get nominated just because they're a name that people recognize um daniel Pemberton's score for uh, uh across the spider Verse was incredible my favorite score of the year uh and some people were saying the score for the boy and the heron or Saltburn. So, so someone something else could have been on here uh th- that's just embarrassing to me
0: But Joe Hisashi's Boy and Heron score is an absolute snub, not being on this list. I've I've listened to that score like three times all the way through. It's so good. It has so much identity, so much class. Come on, man. Indiana Jones, he wrote that theme years ago. Like, get out of here with this, you know? Uh, Whatever. I hope – it's probably going to go to Oppenheimer, I think. Um, I guess we can skip editing, right? Like, I I love editing fine, but I don't know. Yeah. Best sound uh, cover because there's some odd ones in here. Creator didn't expect didn't expect Gareth Garrett Adams the creator getting a nom. Maestro uh, Mission Impossible Dead Reckoning Part One making the list. Oppenheimer and then Zone of Interest. The, the sneaky answer for those in the know it's Zone of Interest. It's Zone of Interest. If, yeah, anything, if, if, if anything takes it, if it's not Zone of Interest. It's a snub, and we'll talk about that why, why that is in just a minute. But uh, I don't know. People, you want to cover anything people else? are going to
1: watch that. People are going to watch that movie at home and they're going to throw it on as like, oh, let's watch this as a family and be devastated. Uh, The last thing I want to talk about is best visual effects, uh, The Creator, Godzilla Minus One, Guardians of the Galaxy, Volume 3, Mission Impossible Dead Reckoning, Part 1, and Napoleon. Great to see Godzilla Minus One on there. (laughs) Godzilla is officially... finally has an Oscar nomination in its 70-year history. Ashamed it's not in more places on it, honestly. could have easily been in the Best Picture category uh, and some other places. Out of these, who do you think's taking it? Uh, Loki,
0: I I think my favorite's The Creator. That's the one that stood out the most to me. They're all good. I mean, they're all good, obviously, but I mean...
1: Well, I mean, you could, you could reward Go- Godzilla or you could give it to a fan favorite like Guardians 3 or Mission Impossible. I don't think Ridley mm. Scott's getting it this year. No,
0: no, he'll blame millennials on their phones. That's the reason the last duel didn't work. That's the reason nobody went and saw Napoleons, millennials on their phones. Uh, do you want to talk about noms and highlights and snobs? I think we kind of covered them all, honestly. I think I'm, I think might be ready yeah, to I get th- to the th- zone th- of interest review.
1: Yeah, I th- I think we we covered it. I, again, the big snub is Greta Gerwig and Margot Robbie not being nominated for the biggest movie of the year and it was historic. Everyone went to see it multiple times. It uh, broke box office records and uh you know, and, and Oppenheimer did it helped save cinema. Oppenheimer did a lot of the same things and it got rewarded for everything, but somehow we left off Greta Gerwig.
0: Yeah, it's weird. It's got a weird energy. Like, there's stories of like Robbie and Gerwig, like being in in producing meetings, like trying to convince studios to buy into the project. And they were like, look, we really think this will be something great. Like, the two of them spearheaded it. Gerwig wrote most of the script without Baumbach, I I had heard, and he came in for revisions, and even he wasn't into the idea. Like, this movie exists because these two women work really hard to make it happen. And, like, it it feels kind of weird that like they're notably not recognized here, and then like I, I, it's not just to be nominated. There's a lot of great noms in categories. I get it. I don't know, man. Yeah, it's just weird. That's all. It's just weird. Like that. It just feels like the people who really were the driving force behind this project that clearly it's, had a lot of success. Um, I, I saw you know, a stat
1: that only eight women have been nominated for best director, and something like almost four, almost five hundred men. In, like the, does... in the in the ninety six year year history, there's they've only ever nominated two women at once, and that's happened one time, uh, which was yeah. a couple of years ago. Last year there were zero women, so uh, it's still got a long time to go. The directing branch of the Academy is some of the oldest people in ho- Hollywood, and that's I mean a lot a lot of this is just re- rewarding names, you know, and old old Hollywood. And again, the, right. even outside of Margot Robbie and Greta Gerwig, that's like. Daniel Pemberton getting slow, snowed out for John Williams, who yeah. ma- who wrote the music for a movie that completely bombed. Like, what are we doing uh, here?
0: Yeah, some of us are having flashbacks to uh, Jamie Lee Curtis winning Best Supporting Actress over Stephanie Shue and everything ever all at once, right? It's just like, hold on a second. Like, one of those performances was clearly more dynamic than the other, but it's fine. Oscars <laughs> are their own thing. What we need to shift focus to, what we need to start talking about Is an entirely different feature. I'm so stoked to talk about this movie. Uh, Boy, this is really great stuff. I'll leave Andy to it. He's taking the summary. Andy, please take it away.
1: The Zone of Interest. Now, this is a movie we've been trying to see for a long time. We've heard a lot of buzz about it since the summer. Um, Really heavy subject matter that we're going to get into, um, but it's definitely very important. This is directed by Jonathan glazer based on the novel by uh uh, martina amos uh who's a woman the story takes place in world war ii germany outside of the auschwitz uh concentration camp with uh the haas family uh commandant Rudolf halls played uh, by christian friedel um he he's in charge of the camp but the story is not about the camp the story is about him and his family um his wife Hedwig, played by Sandra Hüller, who of course we saw in Anatomy of a Fall. They are trying to build this idyllic life. Um, they they have a fan. They have four kids. She's got this enormous garden in the background. They have a pool. They're trying to raise their family, be good mothers and fathers. And this is all happening next to a concentration camp, which sounds horrific, and it is. But at the same time, it's not because. Uh, this movie is not about the victims it is about the people that perpetrated these atrocities and it's about humanizing the bad guy but not in the oh they're people too in it's more in the oh this was these were everyday people that carried these things out that stood by while it happened that were complicit um that were were completely okay with what was going on and uh the movie is from their perspective and you you get hints of the horrors that are going on next door, uh, primarily through an incredible soundscape. There's a constant rumbling going on in the background of the crematoriums burning 24 hours a day. There's, the sounds of of the slave labor factories their screams but just ever so faint i mean the, the, i mean they have like small children and like the children they don't really hear it or they they're just kind of deaf to it there's gunshots again off in the distance and you we know from from history that that means people are getting getting killed every time uh, you see one There is is this terrible imagery of the trains constantly arriving. And this is all against the background of this idyllic garden, this green space, the pool they have a birthday party. They celebrate different things all while these terrible things are going on next door. And so it's, it's a real look at what's often been called the banality of evil, just everyday people carrying out unbelievable acts.
0: I think uh, the Zone of Interest is a really important movie. Um, one of the people, one of the, how do I get my thoughts together? One of the things I thought about while I was watching this feature. Amongst, you know, the horrors of war and tragedy and violence and uh, incredible performance and the way it's shot uh, is, is of my fellow film reviewer, fellow film reviewer, Mark Kermode in his review of Jojo Rabbit, right? The Taika Waititi film about uh, a young boy who is going to Nazi summer camp and learning to be a Nazi in World War II Germany and kind of how he travels through that and ends up, you know. Not really working out. Um, it's a bit of a comedy, and Kermode infamously really didn't like it. He really didn't like it because he thought it made light of the Nazis. It made light of the monsters. Like it, it it treats them as if they could be somewhat redeemable or have some kind of, you know, like lighthearted human side because really everybody's human and that's not the way it should be looked at. Well, Zone of Interest, I think, is a fantastic direction away from that very idea that 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 these are People who are, like, capable of, I don't, I don't know, love and affection. Because ultimately, like, the people in the zone of interest kind of are. They're people just like everybody else. They, they live lives that they deem are normal. They have goals and aspirations, a home that they love, a family, a family they cherish. Like, they don't want any of those things to change. They just happen to also have this horrific ideology that's been so built into who they are and what they do that they've completely given themselves and their families to it. And they're surrounded by it, by the sounds of it and the horror of it and the, the the look and the smell and the taste and the air and the ash it's disgusting and it's horrifying. And Glazer shoots it with this like unreal, unflinching like tension. Set cameras and and microphones all over the set, so the audio the the, the the our actors are acting as naturally as possible, just capturing them in their most like basic instinctual presence while they are operating as a mother and a father and employees uh, and expectants of. Uh, uh, a concentration camp it's really hardcore man it's really hardcore and it's really
1: great and i feel like i'm rambling
0: so she probably give me some direction andy where do we ta- where do we start talking about yeah. this thing
1: um well it's again th- there's a what is the plot what is the story so the, they're raising their family but what what is kind of the catalyst is um a couple of businessmen arrive and they have a, a meeting with uh the commandant um where they outline plans for what will be a crematorium and if you don't know, and I had to do some research for this, but Rudolf Haas was kind of the mastermind of mass murder in the, these uh, camps at the time. Um, he perfected of like, how, how do we efficiently exterminate people? Um, and he figured out meth- methods for that. So that's all going on in, in the background, but it kicks off with this um, this business meeting and this eventual construction of uh, this crematorium. But again, it's the movie's not about the camp. It's about the the family, you know they have uh, struggles of you know raising raising their kids, dealing with you know work life balance, their relationship, uh, that that sort of thing. I think one of the amazing thing that Glazer does is th- this movie is it's it's obviously very heavy, but it's not unwatchable like you might expect because the horrors are around the the edge uh, of what's going on. Like we all know from history, what what's happening. Uh, but it's again it's not grotesque it's not graphic it's all mostly done through sound but he does really clever things like near the beginning there's a scene where uh they open packages and get clothes out and you're like oh they they must have just ordered some clothes and now they're going through them and you slowly realize like these aren't clothes they've ordered they're clothes that have come off the prisoners that that have arrived on the trains and they're you know stealing their their belongings and take. And it's one of those oh you're it's when it clicks it doesn't cuz it doesn't click right away <clears throat> it's then shocking and again it's the mundanity which which is carried out it's like oh these are clearly other people's clothes let me go through them let me go through these pockets oh there's something nice in here l- l- lucky us um and there's a lot of that kind of thing in the film i don't want to get too much in into that but it's it's a lot of showing what what these how these people carrying out were benefiting and you know because at first I thought, well, maybe they don't know. Maybe the family doesn't know. Maybe the mother doesn't know, and they're just, you know, doing right. doing what they're they're told. But the longer the film goes, it's it's very clear that they're they know exactly what's going on. They're complicit, and not only that, they're essentially rewarded for what's going on. Uh, he's he's rewarded with promotions. They're recorded with reported with the, you know this really nice living situation. They ha- they have living um, house servants, and I say that is they were obviously still slave labor but they were house servants and that that was their job um you know they live an incredibly comfortable life at one point she says i'm the you know people call me the the queen of auschwitz because i have this lovely garden i and i raise my kid like and she gets kind of whatever she wants. they love their life here um and it just kind of shows you the cost and all the throughout the whole film there's Again, it's there's the 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 humming and churning of machinery. There's the gunshots in the distance. There's screams of torture, just barely audible. The children don't even hear it. It's just uh, it's just over their their head. So it's it sure. it's so haunting well, um, that's, the whole time.
0: You you hit it perfect. Like the the slow turn of realization for your audience is like handled so so perfectly here masterfully even by glazer like because when the trailer does not give any of this stuff away the trailer just shows hey there's there's a family that's living next to what looks like a concentration camp they don't tell you what concentration camp it is they don't tell you in what capacity this family works there they don't tell you any of that and as you watch the film and you start to answer these questions to yourself only through subtext only through subtext because like you said the violence is never shown only through subtext you're told these things these like slow turns of realization for you of what you're watching and what you're seeing and what those sounds represent is horrifying like it 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 creates a pit in the bottom of your stomach like it it is genuinely difficult to watch and glazer shoots this in in a brilliant like match with his theme of with this incredibly rigid always on a tripod camera that is typically just placed in the scene against a wall or somewhere in a corner. Apparently the way they rigged this up is they put a bunch of cameras uh, in where our scenes were going to be. And then our actors just acted them out. They're fixed cameras all the time. And then they put that together in editing. So you'll have like... I don't know if anybody ever listens to the show ever played like the old Resident Evil games. But like those first couple Resident Evil titles, it was like all security cam footage for your horror game. You can't move the camera. You're locked in place what you see in the frame is what you have to take in it's it's, it's what you can it's the information you can perceive when the camera changes because because the, the camera is not going to do it for you there's no cameraman who's going to steady cam our characters and follow them there's nobody's going to dolly along it's nearly all going to be fixed and while you're looking for our characters and information and hey that helper over there looks like she has a black eye what's that guy about or hey that guy looks like he's wearing a prison jumpsuit you're also seeing things like just over the top of the garden wall, the tops of factory buildings. Yeah. And you're hearing like the steam. You're, you're seeing the steam of an engine, of a train engine roaring by on a track and coming to a stop. And us, the adults in the room, know what those things mean. You can put it together. Like it's, it's, it's very obvious. Um, but if you took, showed this movie to like a five-year-old, they would just be super bored they wouldn't know any of it like and they wouldn't see it and they're never going to see anything in here that's rated R and they're not going to see anything that like chills them to their core because they don't have any of that context as an adult who knows what you're watching chilling chilling and it truly creates a connection between the screen and the audience that like few films do glazer has managed to like cobble something together here that transcends language it's it's all in german doesn't matter like transcends time like and truly has a message that matters like really incredible work. Really incredible work, dude. Like I wish we'd seen this movie earlier in the year. I wish we'd seen it before our top 10 list. Um Andy Andy, what else? Yeah. What else do we say without giving stuff away? Yeah.
1: <laughs> so th- this would have been right this would have been my number 1 movie had I gotten to see it uh in in time. Yes, the, uh it's been described kind of as Big Brother. It, it, it's shot in that reality TV way in the house at least where uh, yeah, the cameras are just set up, and the actors just do the scene. And this the, it also allowed for a lot of improvisation. Uh, there's a lot of improv throughout a lot of the different scenes because they wanted a real natural uh, feel. And also, as heavy as this movie is, it's PG-13. Like that's how you know it's not yeah. like something. You know, there's not tons of violence or anything like that. Uh, but it's, it's still incredible in its messaging. There's a really interesting subplot that that we see actually shot in kind of a negative. Uh, what uh, film negative? I think it's infrared. There's a gr- infrared. Yeah, yeah. Uh, there's a girl in in town. Um, a, a Polish girl who rides her bike close to the concentration camp, kind of where where the uh, the prisoners work the fields. And she goes and hides food. She takes like bags of apples and she goes and hides it. Uh, in in the hillside, or she hides it underneath uh, work equipment. And so it's it's like the one person the one hint of, of resistance that's going on. And it's just this in, innocent girl um, who's based on a, a, a real person who was actually there. And I've, I read as much as like, that is actually that woman's bike in the film. Like it's the, like her original bike from, uh, from then. So you do have like these hints of, of resistance, but it's so small and so almost futile. Um, but it's, it's still, you know, acts of defiance in, in the face of these horrors.
0: Andy's mentioned it a couple times already, but just to kind of wrap up my thoughts before recommendations, I want to reiterate, this movie should win best sound. It is... Like, not only are Brits of it experimental in how sound is presented, including an overture at the open, which is nuts. Yeah. um, But like, the way sound is used to present like a subtext that you aren't seeing is really really incredible in fact i was looking at imdb trivia earlier apparently uh their composer had composed a lot more music for it and in an early edit it had way more music and they dialed it all back in favor of what's here it's very intentional it's very designed it's wildly effective like I don't know, man, like I, I, there's some good, some good stuff for best sound, but I don't think anybody beats what's happening here. This is genuinely creative in a way that I didn't expect. Um, as well as the whole feature, like it's, it is, it's really good. Andy had a great tweet about it just the other day. Uh, uh, follow probably what act Dr. Draper. I think that's your handle. I'm not even sure. We should probably say our handles at some point. Um, yeah, (laughs) yeah, you tweeted, you said, you said it might be the most important Holocaust movie since Schindler's list. And I think, I think you're right um, it's super important dude. <laughs> Sound of interest is really important. It bums me out. A24 can't get it in front of people. I get it's really specific, but boy, like I, you would think this would be in more places. It's really hard to find.
1: The, the Oscar noms will, will definitely help with that. And it'll be more widely seen. Um, but yeah, you know, Schindler's list is also a very hard watch and that movie didn't shy away from from the very graphic violence and torture and torment this is kind of takes the opposite of approach where we've seen all that, we know all that, let's look at the people responsible. Um, It's incredible, like uh, I've never seen anything like this and I'd heard amazing things that it it was just something else and that it'll change you.
0: Yeah, yeah, the zone of interest is incredible. Andy, recommendations? I'm ready. Oh, would you recommend uh, the zone of interest? (laughs)
1: Um, I would I feel this is one of those movies like Twelve Years a Slave or uh Schindler's List where everyone should see this movie. You need to see this, it's an education. Um again, it it's heavy subject matter, but it's not impossible. it's not too hard to sit through. It's PG thirteen. Um, so it it is digestible, I think, by most audiences, but uh it's so haunting and it's such uh, an incredible look at just how everyday people um, can carry out things like this like these weren't boogeymen and monsters they were husbands and wives and mothers and children and siblings and and again it's not just about the the physical tortures it's about the idea the uh, idealism and the uh these people are believers they believe that what is happening what they're doing is is right is the right thing
0: yeah they're highly yeah Yeah, Andy's right. It is a wildly important feature. Bold cinema fans, you are going to eat so good when you go see Zone of Interest. It is so different and thoughtful and interesting. I don't think it'll play the same at home. Go see it in a theater. I'll probably go see it again at some point, if not soon. Like when they start doing yeah, like you know AMC like Oscar Roundup Week when they like Fathom Events runs all the Oscar movies again. Like I might try to go sneak it in on a big screen somewhere. Dude, Zone of Interest is so good. It's so good. It's top 10 material. It's excellent. It, like I said, it's, it's nominated for uh, Oscars and, and it, it may earn them. Um, and that's our show. God, what, what an episode. A uh, little, little, little bit lopsided, but things about adaptation, right? Zone of Interest is adapted from a book. And you know, I heard that it was a pretty different book, by the way. I think, I think, I think yeah. Jonathan Glazer went the went the way of like Kubrick and 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 Stephen King, making The Shining. It was like, okay, I, I see the book. I'm making it this way, and I think it might be better for it. Mean Girls, meanwhile, adapted from adapted from adapted. What a strange time at the movies. Andy, what are we watching next week?
1: So there are no big releases in theaters next week, but we were gonna we are going to be taking a look at Society of the Snow. Uh, which is a drama on Netflix about the Chilean uh, rugby team that crashed over the Andes in the 70s and had to resort to um, cannibalism in order to survive. This movie was made in 1994, or a, a version of this movie was made in 1994 with Ethan Hawke called Alive. Uh, this version is by J.A. Bayona and is in Spanish. Uh, excited to see that. And then uh, I think we might take a look at Niad or one of these other uh Oscar nominees, uh, there's there's a lot out. Um, so it might be a dou- double streaming week. Niad is just, all I know is that Jodie Foster and Annette Benning are in it, and it's uh, a swimming uh, drama. Annette Benning is a sw- swimmer. Jodie Foster's the coach. It's kind of all I know about that. And uh, Zach, tell us about Strawberry Mansion.
0: Yeah, it's Strawberry Mansion. So uh, Strawberry Mansion is a mini review I want to do next week. It's on Amazon Prime. Uh, you can go check it out now. Uh, Andy and I saw a trailer for it in 2021 when it came out. It is about a as a science fiction low mega low budget indie a la Everything Everywhere All at Once. It's about a uh, a tax auditor, a dream tax auditor, uh, who a lonely man uh, who travels around the country to. Uh, Meet with clients and 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 audit their dreams as they've been recorded on these like tape devices and tax things in them as a cor- as corporations of the future have learned to tax people and make money off of things and he goes and meets this old woman who uh, lives in this uh, wonderfully red mansion discovers she has thousands of tapes and as he starts to kind of dig into those and look at her dreams through these very lo-fi goofy helmet thing he puts on and goofy edits um, you end up like kind of departing to this magical world of like the real and the unreal and dreamlike romanticism, uh, kind of goofy. I'll have to send Andy the trailer. It sounds like a weird flick, but I I'm excited to talk about it. Honestly, I took the time. I think it's worth talking about. I think, I think there's something neat there. It's got a bit of heart to it. So look forward to that next week, but in between uh, now and then, if you enjoyed the show today, I'll script episode two forty mean girls. And, boy, I've done too much podcast. The zone of interest. The zone of interest. interest. The best thing you can do to support us and help me get my memory right is subscribe to Offscript Film Review wherever you are listening and or watching right now. If you're watching on YouTube, we got individual reviews coming out custom things, all kinds of things happen on the YouTube page, subscribe here and go check us out over on YouTube if you haven't. You can find us on Facebook and Instagram and Twitter, all the usual social media stuff. Uh, We're on iTunes and Spotify, iHeartMedia, Google Play, anywhere you find your audio podcast. You might be listening to us there Right now, and if you are, hit that sub button for us. does does huge things for us. You have no idea how big of a change that makes in the podcast world. And if you could swing it, I mean, if you really want to go for the extra credit, you could leave a little rating and review, a little five stars, and a little something, something about how much you like the show, how how great you think Andy's opinions are, what you think of our Oscar noms. Mm-hmm. I don't know. I'm just you could leave anything in there, and 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 the the great algorithm in the sky will turn it into something that will help us make more episodes of Offscript. But anyway, the point is, we like movies, we like watching them, and we want to keep talking about them. So please, do us a solid. Leave a rating and review where you can, or subscribe, or whatever. Share with your friends. Share with somebody. And uh, you can always find us at offscriptfilmreview.com, and you can leave us uh, correspondence via email at mail at offscriptfilmreview.com. From all of us at Offscript, the home of Bold Cinema, I'm Zach Lewis.
1: And I'm Dr. Draper.
0: Thanks for watching.